0: From werewolves and monsters to the modern-day slasher, horror fiction has captivated people since ancient Greece. But so many of the genre's most famous and terrifying stories were created, written, or developed by women whose names you might not have ever learned. Until now. I'm Courtney Enlow, and this is a special, spooky edition of Sci-Fi Wire Fangirl's Forgotten Women of Genre titled Forgotten Women of Horror. Every day for the week of Halloween, we'll tell you the stories of just some of the women who helped make the horror sphere what it is today. Oh my God. I think he's dead. We can't just leave him here. Oh, tell me little Miss Prelaw, what's the charge for mad slaughter? Make a pact right here and now we take the sorry grave. When you think of I Know What You Did Last Summer, you probably think of the 1997 slasher part of a resurgence of modern teen horror filled with hooks, a mysterious fisherman, and Scream Queens, Jennifer Love Hewitt and Sarah Michelle Gellar. What you might not think of is Lois Duncan, who wrote the book that inspired the film and hated every second of the movie that made her creation a bestseller two decades after its publication. But Duncan was far more than this one title. In her publisher's weekly obituary, Beverly Horowitz, senior VP and publisher of Delacorte Press, detailed just how much Duncan changed the landscape of the young adult market and suspense, thrillers, and horror for young women. Lois Duncan's thriller suspense novels led the charge for expanding the YA market, not only in terms of the honesty of her portrayals of teen characters, but also in terms of opening up YA retail accounts. Booksellers came to acknowledge the power of the teen reader. Duncan's work was filled with suspense, and her life was beset by tragedy. Through it all, Duncan's power and voice was in her writing, and she shared it with all of us. Lois Duncan Steinmetz was born April 28, 1934, to Lois and Joseph Steinmetz. Both her parents were successful magazine photographers, whose work appeared in publications like Life, The Saturday Evening Post, and Collier's, one issue of which featured Lois as a cover model in an image captured by her father. According to a 2005 biography by Amy Sterling Cassil. Duncan would come home and sit in front of the typewriter all evening the way modern children do with video games and tablets. That said, according to her very active Goodreads user account, Duncan was not exactly a fan of this particular publication. As she wrote in her one-star review of the book, An unauthorized biography of my life with a lot of inaccuracies. It's as if the author went online, pulled up every mention of me she could find, and tacked it together without checking anything out. You'd think that if you were writing a biography about a living person, you could at least contact that person for a personal interview. The photo on the cover was pirated off the internet and enhanced to make me look very different than I do. Shame on Rosen Publishing for their sloppily assembled library of author biographies. So, when it comes to her youth, we'll stick to the word of the woman herself Quote, I can't remember a time I didn't want to be a writer. It's the only thing I ever wanted to be. At just 10, Duncan submitted a story to a magazine for the first time and sold her first piece at 13 years old to a magazine called Calling All Girls. In 1952, she started attending college at Duke University. According to a different biography, one by Kimberly Campbell and one Duncan awarded three stars on Goodreads, but wrote that the facts are accurate, the college freshman was not a fan of university life. It was too crowded, too busy, too loud, and Duncan was unable to concentrate on her writing. According to the book, she told her parents she wanted to drop out, but after they expressed concerns, she begrudgingly went back. That is, until she met Joseph Cardozo, a handsome senior who proposed that spring. Duncan would not return to school. Cardozo, however, did. He finished at Duke, then enlisted in the Air Force. Duncan found herself in the role of military wife, moving as his job dictated and focused on housework. This was stifling for the creative Duncan, something she articulated in a poem she wrote at the time. Oh, it's many a mile from our kitchen door to half the world away. I lie at night in the curve of your arm And I cook your meals by day. All of my life I give to you, and glad that it may be so. But my heart goes roaming many a mile that you will never know. That poem was included in Seasons of the Heart, a collection of Duncan's poetry. In the opening pages, she describes her first marriage. I was married two days after my 19th birthday. Back then, that's what nice girls did. If you felt an urge to do anything more than kiss your boyfriend goodnight, you married him first. My young husband and I were sure that our union was forever. Neither of us had ever met a person who was divorced, and it never entered our heads that we might end up that way. Duncan's first novel, A Love Song for Joyce, written in 1958 under the pen name Lois Carey, described the struggle of a young woman, the titular Joyce, as she transitions from girlhood to adulthood while attending college. She produced a sequel, A Promise for Joyce, in which things pretty much remain hard for Joyce. Relatable. She wrote several other young adult novels, ones Duncan herself would describe as, quote, not very good, but she was writing, and completely besotted, her word, by her two daughters, Robin and Carrie. But her marriage struggled. Cardozo had entered law school and became an attorney, and the two rarely spent time together though they did manage to add a third child, their son, Brett. But at 27, the marriage between Duncan and Cardozo finally fell apart. As Duncan writes in Seasons of the Heart, Cardozo had fallen in love with someone else. And Duncan took her children and moved to Albuquerque, where she was forced, as she puts it, to get a real job. Made difficult by her lack of college degree or work experience of any kind. She found a job at an advertising agency where she made $275 a month, But with a full-time job and young children, she no longer had the energy to write. Again, relatable. So she made a bold decision. She quit her job. She read every magazine she could, figured out what kind of pieces they wanted, and wrote those, making a pretty good living while doing so. She remarried to Donald Arquette and had two more children, Don Jr. and Caitlin. Her husband would adopt her older children. Life was good, and Duncan was ready to get back to her true passion writing books for young adults, and finding her sweet spot in scary, suspenseful tales with a dash of the supernatural. In 1966, Duncan wrote and published Ransom, about a kidnapped group of children trapped on a school bus attempting to free themselves while their parents scrambled to obtain the titular Ransom. This was Duncan's first venture into the thriller and suspense genre, and she'd found her niche, winning the Edgar Allan Poe Award. But her most famous novel was still to come. In 1973, Duncan wrote I Know What You Did Last Summer, kicking off a nearly two-decade reign of suspense and terror for the young adult gays. It was soon followed by Down a Dark Hall, Summer of Fear, and of course Killing Mr. Griffin. Killing Mr. Griffin follows a group of high school students who exact a plan to kidnap their strict and demanding English teacher. The ringleader mark was based on Duncan's daughter Carrie's boyfriend. According to Duncan, he was a very sick young man, and he was the most charming young man you could ever meet. And she also said it wasn't until things got very bad that we discovered he was the kind of guy who would swerve in the road to run over a dog. We do not care for this person. But Duncan wasn't afraid to treat her characters as real, vulnerable, flawed humans, not these innocent, romanticized children who were unaccountable for their actions. That's clear in her next book, Daughters of Eve, which brutally depicts the misogynistic struggles women and girls faced in the 70s, and spoiler alert, still to this day. In the novel, a group of teen girls embrace women's liberation and enact vigilante justice on the trash men in their lives. Seen by some as an anti-feminist screed and others as a cathartic exploration of female rage, one thing is clear, Duncan's characters were people, young women who were in pain, many of their choices dictated by the men around them who will not listen or be swayed. Ironically then, but never unexpectedly, Daughters of Eve, like Killing Mr. Griffin, has been placed on many challenged and banned books lists. Barry, okay, why would he try to run you over? Why did he make coleslaw on Helen's head? He's fucking with us. Come on, Julie, let's go back to the house. Where's your jacket, Barry? Don't you see, he's got us now. Okay, this is exactly what he wants. We can't go to the police. Not now. He's made sure of that. He's just out there and he's watching us and waiting. What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? I Know What You Did Last Summer is today, Duncan's most famous work, in no small part due to the 1997 film starring Jennifer Love Hewitt and written by Kevin Williamson, capitalizing on the success of Williamson's script for Scream. The film was a box office smash, but Duncan was not a fan. In a blog post for Goodreads, she wrote about her lack of control over the film and the experience of watching her teen suspense novel turned into a slasher flick. The lights dimmed and there was a scenic view of the ocean. How could that be? My story was laid in New Mexico. Then a fisherman with an ice hook appeared on the screen. He wasn't in my book. By now I was starting to think I'd walked into the wrong theater by mistake. But no, up came the title, I Know What You Did Last Summer. I was bewildered. Who was that fisherman, and what was he going to do with that ice hook? Well, I soon found out he was going to decapitate my characters. Heads flew off, blood spurted, the audience screamed, I screamed. I was so horrified I couldn't even open my popcorn. The first thing I did when I staggered out of the theater was phone my married daughter, Carrie, and tell her, don't let my grandchildren see it. In response to a fan praising the novel version, Duncan wrote, Thank you for liking the book, and I hope you don't watch the awful movie. They made it into a slasher film, she said. And I don't think murder is funny. And she had a better reason for feeling that way than most. Duncan's final young adult thriller was released in 1989. Don't Look Behind You followed April, a character based on Duncan's daughter, Caitlin Arquette. The book would be the last time Duncan was able to depict young women in peril. Because shortly before its release, Caitlin was murdered on July 16, 1989. The 18-year-old who had just graduated high school was shot twice in the head in a drive-by shooting. While the police believed the shooting was random, Duncan dedicated the rest of her life to finding the truth. A search she details in her books, Who Killed My Daughter?, and its sequel, One to the Wolves. The murder remains unsolved, and Duncan found many strange elements of the case, including her daughter's knowledge of her boyfriend Yoon Nguyen's role in insurance fraud, friends saying that Caitlin was afraid of her boyfriend's friends, and a letter found at Kate's home purportedly written by Kate that was not in her handwriting and featured spelling errors that she would not have made. The letter essentially portrayed Kate and Yuna as having made up in a healthy relationship. Duncan didn't believe Wynn committed the crime, but she believed he knew who did, or who made it happen. Do you believe he killed your daughter? No, I definitely do not. Uh, I think he loved her, and I think he was sincerely grief-stricken afterwards. What I think happened was that he introduced Kate to too many things, too many people, told her too much, and she became a threat and she was executed. By his friends? I don't even know that that's the case. The police uh, arrested two young Hispanic men later on, and they had some pretty good reason to believe that those men were the trigger men. And then we had a call from a tipster telling us that those men uh, had killed before and did it for pay. So there is a very strong possibility, I would think, that if they did the shooting, It was a contract hit. And what did the police say about that? They said it was a random shooting. Or as they keep saying, it was a random shooting. Yes, they seem to really sincerely believe it was a random shooting. Now, are you carrying on- Caitlin's murder was never solved. And Duncan's career changed. She told Buzzfeed, I went weak after Kate's murder. How could I even think about creating a novel with a young woman in a life-threatening situation? But she never let go of the hope there would be justice for her daughter. Duncan told People Magazine, in dreams, Caitlin tells me, don't give up, mother. It's not a matter of revenge. It's a matter of Kate being worth the truth. Despite all the tragedy and loss she experienced, she never lost her wit, her humor. From Goodreads reviews to this moment when she accepted her Edgar Allan Poe Grand Master Award in 2015, thanking the three most important men in her life, her husband, her agent, And the third most important man of my life is going to be whatever muscular, hopefully good-looking young man comes up here to help me down off this (laughs) thing. On June 15, 2016, at 82 years old, Lois Duncan passed away, having suffered several strokes in the years leading up to her death. Her career and her life were one of a woman who did and wrote things her own way. But like for so many of us, there is much in life beyond our control. The film adaptation that would define her work, or the tragic loss that would change her world. Lois Duncan did what she could with the time she had, and she was far more than a slasher movie scream queen. Forgotten Women of Horror is a production of Sci-Fi Wire Fangirls. Today's episode was written and narrated by Courtney Enlow and produced by Cher Martinetti. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Sci-Fi Fangirls Pod and at Sci-Fi Fangirls. You can find this and so much more at Sci-Fi fangirls.com. Be sure to subscribe to Forgotten Women of Genre wherever you get your podcasts.